midlife crisis is like a perfect hero's narrative. You meet a character, you fall in love with them, they doubt themselves, they buy a Porsche, they fuck somebody half their age, and then they come out of it with a newfound love of who they were in the beginning, right? But I was 18 when I had my first existential crisis. That's a very different experience. Like, I can't afford a Porsche. They won't let me fuck somebody half my age. I mean, you wouldn't want to if they did, but it's nice to have options, you know? Anthony Gino is a hilariously real stand-up comedian and host of the Highbrow Drivel podcast. And for all you Londoners out there listening, Anthony is putting on a special encore at The Pleasance following a sold-out run at the Edinburgh Fringe. One day you're a student at a protest, and the next you're a 30-something middle manager who still doesn't know what you want to be when you grow up. The Middle Bit is a show about realising you've become an elder millennial. Check out the link in the description below for tickets. Lovely. So, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Ivor Cummins, who is a biochemical engineer and the author of the fantastic book, Eat Rich, Live Long. Uh, Ivor, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Josh. No problem. Um, so yeah, like as we were discussing, maybe you want to give people sort of like a, a brief rundown of your expertise before they start saying that you've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm well used to that one. Nonsense. <laughs> Put it with all the rest of the nonsense. Yeah, so I'm a biochemical engineer originally. I'm nearly 30 years in corporate problem solving, like leading large teams of engineers and all branches of science. And the funny thing is, in that world, and it's a rarefied world because even amongst engineers, which are known as the problem solving profession, I've managed large teams of engineers for decades. And, you know, there's only 10 or 20% who are truly gifted in technical problem solving, even amongst engineers, never mind amongst lay people. And the key thing for our world was integration. And the integrator was the most important person of all. And I was a kind of a manager of integrators. And the integrator has to know all the branches of science. And if they don't know them, they have to research uh, to tie together a complex picture with many factors. Uh, you just simply have to bring in the experts as needed and integrate their knowledge into the big picture. So what I've been doing for 10 years now in the world of health, besides an enormous amount of research, and I have a few thousand published peer-reviewed papers on metabolic science on my hard drive, but besides that, I've built an enormous network of professors, doctors, uh, PhDs in all of the sciences. And in the last two years, I've added a load of epidemiologists, virologists, and immunologists including Professor Beda Stadler in Switzerland, who's a personal friend now. So basically, I spent a career, and in COVID, the last two years, I've done the same, doing all the research myself and then bringing in experts as needed. That's my specialty. So when I form a hypothesis and check it against this worldwide network, I find any gaps or chinks that may not be entirely correct. I use content, content specialty people uh, for those uh, areas. And there's not too many, actually, because if you can interpret the published literature and you're an expert in all matters technical, you usually don't need a contact or content expert too often, but it's great to validate. So that that's the answer. That criticism is just absurd. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll get uh, we'll get to that um, at some point in the in the in the conversation. So I, I guess that's that's the best place to begin is is with your expertise is with with integrating 
like uh, individuals expert knowledge into constructing like a big picture examination of of an issue and uh, honestly through the entire uh, pandemic i spent uh, countless countless hours wondering why on earth that wasn't happening at the highest levels of government it it was almost as if there was this like laser blinkered single point focus on Let's do anything that might help at all to prevent the transmission of COVID nineteen. Now, whether those measures actually worked, we can we can we can get into. But like, why was there this like laser focus on this one tiny aspect of a of a pandemic when there was like a clearly so many factors involved in like how it was going to affect countries, um, individuals, health services. Like, have you spoken to anyone that has a grasp of why? no one came with your sort of expertise to governments and said, hey, let's look at the big picture here. Well, yeah, hordes of people went to governments and even early on got on the mass media explaining basic, simple realities like the infection fatality rate, Diamond Princess in February 2020. I had seen that. So in March, when they began to lock down, I just thought they're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> I didn't realize how bad it was going to get. But there were hosts of experts. But as you're probably aware, um, they were pushed out of media and then they were censored in later rounds. So there was a rejection of rationality. I mean, that's the way I saw it an absolute rejection of logic, ethics, science in a sense, and rationality. It was all rejected by the system. Now, you can argue, why did the system become completely psychotic? And I think there's no getting away from, I mean, I interviewed Professor Matthias Desmet on his new book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And we really went through how the whole of the world can go into mass formation, which is like a mass hypnosis. And it's kind of based on indoctrination and propaganda, which was 24-7 on the media. We saw that from, from March 2020. Uh, but also you can't ignore that it's not just random chance that everyone lost the plot. And we do know now, if I take the real first kind of crystallization of the problem, Bruce Aylward, who's a senior director of the WHO, and he's direct advisor, I think, to the uh, the... I was going to say attorney general, but, you know, the main man. And he was in February in China with the Communist Party leaders and the whole Chinese structure. And he sat on the stage and talked for an hour and mostly nonsense. But he showed the graph of China's Gumpert's curve. We, we realized very quickly there's a Gumpert's curve, just like Spanish flu, 1918. Same thing. It's a seasonal virus, follows a Gumpert's curve comes back again later. And he pointed at the curve and he said, look what China have managed to do. So he pointed at something entirely natural that we saw replicated all over the world for the next two years. And he said, China did this. And then he said the immortal words, essentially, we will have to do this too: lockdowns and masks and things. So when that was, was a hundred... Hmm? When was that exactly? Sorry. That was February. Uh, I did a recent video on the origins of the lockdown kind of madness, and he featured highly. Uh, it was in February 2020. So basically, I didn't see that till later, but that was a crucial point. 
the top person from the WHO, which YouTube afterwards, the CEO said, if you say anything that conflicts with what WHO says, then we'll censor you. So WHO was the epicenter of the advice that everyone followed. Their guy said the West will have to do lockdowns. And he said it in February 2020. So I have the video clips. They're extraordinary to see. So basically, it was from the get-go, directed from the WHO. And then Neil Ferguson, uh, famously, after Italy, had a problem in north of Italy. I mean, they have a profoundly low vitamin D in their elderly. And they often, over the past decades, have got massive flu hits in northern Italy. They also have an air quality problem. But besides all that, Italy lost the plot. And then Neil Ferguson in Imperial College. Imperial College has taken $300 million plus over eight years from basically vaccine foundations like Bill and Melinda. I mean, they're not impartial. They're the opposite. So his nonsense modeling, that was around 10 times more impact than the Diamond Princess cruise ship showed with the elderly people on it, February 2020. Clearly it was nonsense, proven afterwards by Sweden to be nonsense. But he triggered UK then to put in lockdowns. And then an equivalent organization is that the MHRA, or I forget now, in uh, America, working with them, did the same massive predictions for America. And America tripped like a domino. And then all the dominoes fell. So with the relentless 24-hour propaganda coming from all the media, I mean, it was kind of a fait accompli. A society cannot resist constant propaganda from every mainstream outlet round the clock. And the government and politicians can't resist it either. That's how the mass formation happened. Mm, yeah. And I mean, there was definitely like a lot of fear um, at the time. Like I remember early on, like I had no idea. Like I was like, how, how bad is this going to get? Um, so I, like, I understand how people got to that. It's like the, the, the thing that, that confuses me, right, is not the initial reaction, right? It's, it's not that like panic. Because people fucking panic all the time, right? Governments panic all the time. Like that, that doesn't concern me as much as like what happened when, you know, people started going, hang on a second. Like once it was beyond a week or two and people started going, Mm -hmm. wait, like, is this, is this really the best thing to do? Like if you shut the economy down, like, isn't, isn't that going to cause even more wider problems and like cascading problems that we're, we're now seeing with like excess deaths, the number of people not getting cancer diagnosis. Like, like what do you think it was that, that stopped that like check moment of, of rationale going of where, where people signing like the, the great Barrington declaration, like where were the governments aside from Sweden, obviously, and like a couple of American states, like what was stopping the governments from going, okay, Let's uh, let's reassess here because that happened throughout the entire pandemic. There would be like new information or like new understanding of how COVID, say, was transmitted. And and yet none of the policies ever changed. Well, because the policies were tops down, clear as day from what I described earlier about Bruce Aylward, but all the way. I'll give an example. So we knew in the summer of 2020 We knew it was a seasonal virus. There was no question about that. It was clear as crystal. 
But in July 2020, the WHO came out with a worldwide bulletin and it was covered by Reuters and others. And they stated SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus is not seasonal, right when it clearly was. So again, we've got this direction from the top that's completely the opposite of the truth. And in Europe, then suddenly, over a couple of weeks, mask mandates came out of nowhere, all over Europe. That wasn't an accident. I mean, no idiot politician sat down and says, I think now in the middle of the summer with the hospitals empty and the ICUs empty and nothing going on for a seasonal virus that's not going to have a resurgence till probably October, November, December, right, which is months away. And also the governments and those politicians were dismantling the Nightingale hospitals and in City West in Ireland, dismantling all of the excess capacity they'd built at huge cost. Mm. So clearly they knew it's the middle of the summer. In fact, we don't even need any overflow capacity, right? So how did all of them bring in mandatory masks all over Europe in the middle of the summer? So it, it's not just stupidity. That came down from the top. Now we can argue where exactly it came from. We'll never find out. Mm. But what's your but, sense? Well, they realized, I think, because in the summer, the hysteria was dying off in Europe and people were getting back to normal life. Economies were recovering. And that's not a good thing if you're running a pandemic business. That's a very, very dangerous thing to have the pandemic fizzle out before you've got anywhere. In fact, you're, you're six months away from the vaccines, which is the big profit generator from a pandemic. And Here's the pandemic just fizzling away. So announce it's not seasonal, ramp the fear up in the middle of the summer and bring in mandatory masks so that everyone knows there's something going on, or at least they think there is. Mm. Everyone wore them. <laughs> everyone put on masks in the middle of the summer when the hospitals were empty. They didn't even stop and think, well, well, maybe next winter, maybe. But why are you, why are you asking for masks now? People, I guess, are that... I won't be offensive. It's just crazy. So it came from the top and you can argue your conspiracy, but at the end of the day, they realized then that the people, the population were so incredibly naive and gullible that they could get away with anything. And that's why it's lasted two years. I mean, we know now Ioannidis published in the summer of 2020, actually, the infection fatality rates. And rough and tough, he was zoning in on 0.15% in general and well below 0.05% fatality for under 70s. And that agreed with uh, Professor Levitt analysis from Diamond Princess. And basically everything lined up and triangulated. It was clear as day. And of course, when the data came out, there was less than 0.1% over the first full big year of the pandemic. So we know it's correct. That data was there, but no one would touch it because the system had already decided what was going to happen. Masks, lockdowns, and a holding pattern with 24-hour propaganda until the next phase came, which the big next phase was, of course, to release the vaccine. Nothing was going to threaten that. It would have been an absolute debacle if the pandemic had appeared to have moved on before the wonder drug was ready. I mean, come on. That's I mean, just not going to happen. Yeah, because I like, correct uh, me if I'm wrong here, but I swear I remember um, 
definitely Fauci and probably like Chris Whitty or Matt Hancock or someone talking about how we were going to have, like how the vaccine was already like in production or in like testing in like April. Like they were, they were ready for it. And I mean, that's fair. Like that's almost fair enough in, in terms of like, you you know, new disease appears, like you want to start, like, even if you don't need it, you want to start work immediately. So like that wasn't an insane proposition, but then we came to it and, and, and the lines like continued to change. Like I remembered the day one, day one of like the vaccine rollout and Matt Cancock uh, gave his, Oscar award-winning uh, tears on Good Morning Britain. And um, and they said within 24 hours, they had just changed their mind about who it was safe to take, who was safe to take it. And then from there, the, 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 yeah, the, the narrative was, was in this constant rolling system of like, it was constantly right and never wrong, even though it was constantly changing. Yeah, I mean, it was completely absurd, Josh, and I, I watched it unfolding and just with amusement until it became so serious that it just wasn't funny anymore. But like, I mean, Johnson said, oh, I know it's a 12 million vaccines to freedom, um, obviously referring to 70 million people in the U- UK. There's around 12 million older vulnerable who you could argue are affected a lot by COVID. So 12 million jabs to freedom. Um how did that become 70 million? Uh, like basically going after everyone. It, it just made no sense. Two weeks to flatten the curve. You could argue in an atmosphere of fear, you could justify that. It was ridiculous and stupid, but you could understand how people could do it out of the precautionary principle. But two weeks became two years. Mm-hmm. Like on every single front, even as the data became more and more clear, rapidly, like by April Woods Hole Institute, I released a paper they published showing there was no link between lockdown and outcomes of severity or death across 50 countries studied. They were the first out the gate, I think, 28th of April, 2020. And it was clear as day. And now we have around 100 papers showing the same thing. But no one cared. It was like it was set in stone. Essentially, we're going to lock down because we got to create a crisis feeling in order to have the wonderful solution that comes later. So we were basically running like a train on tracks and the train just would not be allowed to come off the track. And that eventually you needed censorship at extreme levels because the train was rocking. And Great Barrington, the emails are released. You mentioned that. Within a day or two of Great Barrington, Fauci was emailing to others and said, we gotta, we got to put a cap on this. So they were actively conspiring. It is proven. It was a conspiracy. They called fringe epidemiologists. They called Gupta, mathematical epidemiologist in Oxford. We got Stanford. We've got Harvard. Within a day or two, Google, you could not find Great Barrington for around a week on Google search. And then they backed down from that after and after there were complaints but the whole organism it's so clear the organism will protect itself at all costs great parenting came out think of it like super antibodies worked way better than their vaccine right the censorship antibodies they just jump in and kill it you know knock off a twitter account here there everywhere knock off facebook 
don't allow a mainstream, close the door. Not allow the mainstream unless you go with the narrative. And I mean, it's so obvious. It, there was no hint of conspiracy theory about it whatsoever. It was obviously a setup. Yeah. This I is mean, the thing that weirds me out, man. It's like, like you, you, you could, I could watch it. Like, I, literally, I could watch it happen. Like, the, yeah. thing, the thing that really turned me on to how bad the censorship was getting when, was when Chris Martinson... Um, from Peak Prosperity, uh, like he had a huge, huge, huge YouTube channel. Um, he got banned from Twitter for like posting about a study about um, ivermectin and relating to like a possible treatment for COVID. I got a strike on my channel for mentioning the fact he got banned for it, for commenting on it, not not even for like, but like, because wow. I was just like, isn't this a good thing? Why are we banning people for this? Like. Shouldn't we all be like, thumbs up, yay, there might be something that can help us? Yeah. Um, so that was too much for YouTube. That's a well, permanent strike. It, yeah, you've got to. Well, I got strikes as well, but they took down around 14 of mine all over a few days and gave me one big strike for it. And that was after the New York Times featured me, myself, an Irish engineer, because I hit 2 million views nearly off a video that explained everything. And because the video was so correct, and to this day, it was almost prophetic. September 2019, recently I was in Amsterdam speaking at a COVID conference and I took the slides and went through them and said, let's be honest, unbiased. How correct was I or how incorrect was I? That September video was eerily correct. But because it was so correct, a lot of CEOs and big people around the world looked at it and thought, hold on a minute. It was very convincing because it was correct. So it got in the New York Times and a day or two later, it got taken off YouTube. And then I got another 14 or so taken down in the following few days. So basically the system again reacted. The antibodies spotted truth and facts and science mm. and said, oh, 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 and they, they descended on me. But it's crazy. You could, like you say, you could get knocked off Twitter for quoting a published paper. But for the listeners, the reason it was absolutely imperative to strike really hard against any potential cure or treatment, not cure, not cure, mm. uh, like ivermectin or HCQ or any of these things, it doesn't matter how effective they were. They were a massive threat because the emergency use authorization for the vaccine to allow it to be used en masse depended on there not being other treatments available that had some reasonable effectiveness. So any other treatment absolutely as an imperative had to be taken off the table. And that's why you saw such enormous reaction to bloody ivermectin when no one really should have cared about people talking about it. Yeah, that's that yeah. was the reason. And so the evidence of of a real conspiracy as such, it's all in there. It's it's just plain to see. You can see every motive and you can see the evidence of all of the chicanery. It's it's like you said about the WEF and their books. It's literally in plain sight. But that makes it harder for ordinary people to believe it. Because, it yeah, it's so all fantastical. there. Yeah. yeah, it's all there. But then they say, oh, so there's this big conspiracy of elites and they own half the governments, which they kind of do. And... And it's not on mainstream news at all, but you're saying it's there. They won't even go there. They won't even go and look. Yeah. Instinctively, they, they have their own antibodies. They don't want to even associate with the concept of 
a conspiracy mm. because they've been educated for decades, Josh. We've been told for decades that anything that goes against a major profiteering center or a major corporate like strategy, it's always a conspiracy theory. So people now are, they're kind of encoded or trained for decades. Anything that sounds like the big guys are bad or they're doing something bad, doesn't matter what it is. It's a conspiracy theory by default. That's how people are programmed now. And you can see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even more insane has been, I've complained to endless amounts of people about this, but was the, is the, there's like a portion, a serious portion of the left in Britain who <sighs> are, who were pro lockdowns, uh, pro vaccine passports to a certain extent, like it varies. I like it. There's a lot of people unwilling to stake a, a position on that, but like they were all fine with all of the totalitarian esque control during the pandemic. And then they have the audacity to sit and call the UK government fascist and complain about like the, the anti-protest bill, which is, which is obscene and disgusting. Right. But the fact that they like, it's the same government, (laughs) the same people criticizing the same government. And in one measure, like, you know, removal of of freedoms and rights that have been long upheld as the, the like literal foundation of the developed and civilized world. One in one uh, in one minute, it's fine for them to just be removed by this government, and that's okay. That's for your own good. But in another sense, months later, the exact same thing is the action of fascists and totalitarians who totally deserved all that totalitarian power that they had then. But now it's a problem. (laughs) Well, you see, people, the masses, they're just. They're innumerate. Um, a lot of people are largely innumerate by my standards and are illogical and irrational by, by my standards or your standards. Uh, it's just the way it is. And, and 30 or 40 years of grooming and, and kind of education to be like that has made it a lot worse, obviously. I, I said way back at the start of the pan- pandemic, I said, if you try to pull this one off, with the people from the seventies. I mean, if somehow magically you could bring all the people from the seventies and put them here and let them have phones and and internet. And somehow they know how to use that, but they are the people from the seventies. They would not fall for it. They would not have had the indoctrination over the last few decades. And they would all start questioning or lots of them would, and it had collapsed, but they have people nowadays who are safest. They're all, obsessed with safety and they got their head in a phone their critical thinking has fallen away over the last 30 years to to a to an anemic level and i mean they're just perfect to pull this stunt on and and look it worked it worked amazingly but the contradictions you you describe are are everywhere and that's what this thing has been most akin to mass hypnosis or religion ideology and you know when people are very religious and they're arguing, you know, there's not a lot of room for logic. Mm. You know, ah, you hate that guy because he's against your religion. <laughs> yeah. This other guy here murders babies, but you know, he's with your religion. So you find a way of saying, well, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it's religion. Yeah. And that that's explains what you said. Mm. Yeah. It is worrying. So, so you, you actually became, um, rather than just like someone who is, was lambasted as a as a group like you became like individually targeted um by mm. um especially by the the Belfast Telegraph and by 
a journalist who has been on this show, Sam McBride, for whom I had uh, and still have a lot of respect, but lost a reasonable amount in in, through the pandemic. But he he used to be a really brilliant journalist who who was managing to sell a traditionally unionist loyalist newspaper in Catholic areas in Belfast because of the quality of the reporting. Right. Like that doesn't happen. Okay, Um, And then um, along comes Covid. Uh, there was a, a DUP, I believe it was councillor who mm. councillor, yeah, who who didn't want to take the vaccine, um, and then subsequently died. And you were singled out stunningly as as being in some way like responsible for this death. I mean, like, w- w- what even goes through your head when someone accuses you of something like that? It 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 was. The height of absurdity, but I mean, just going through the data and, and I didn't actually know, know the counselor, God rest his soul, from Adam. But apparently I had replied to him on Twitter and out of my thousands of replies or, or tweets each month, they sent it and I looked and it was true. I had replied, but I didn't even take any notice at the time. So I had no connection of any relevance whatsoever to him. But he was following a lot of people who were anti-lockdown and anti-this. And at that time, I didn't even talk about the vaccine much. So it wasn't even a vaccine thing. So his decision on the vaccine, it was based apparently on his perception that he was low risk. Now, he was low risk. I said at the time, you know, if you say to someone, it's one in two million for you to die in a plane crash. That person could say to you, well, I know someone who died in a plane crash, so screw you. It's still one in two million. But yes, one in two million will. So the risk of a 45-year-old man, mid-40s, in Northern Ireland or or Southern Ireland, was vanishingly low. It was 0.03. And then if you weren't comorbid, it was lower again. These are tiny risks. So this gentleman was correct. Now, it did come out afterwards that there was an autoimmune condition involved. And I can only say that because it was in the newspaper. Um, again, there was no autopsy. Uh, there was no, you know, death cert. Or, I don't know anything about those conditions under which this poor man passed. But it's, it's murky. Mm. And to connect it to me was, was pure propaganda. It was literally now I had been through already a couple of months, uh, which I had no problem with because I'm correct. I have a massive network. I mentioned earlier, we may not be perfectly correct on every nuance, but we're vastly overwhelmingly correct on nearly every vector of COVID, especially risk ratios compared to the narrative. So I don't mind the attacks, but I got attacks on my professional societies, uh, letters written to them. Clearly coming from groups, you know, 20 page PDFs catching everything they could say about me that was unethical. And I answered them all and ethics committee sat and they all agreed with me. The engineering project management societies, they all said, look, you kind of got a reply. I did reply and they all agreed with me and threw it out of court. So that will tell you something. All the technical societies said I was correct. That actually gives but- me quite a lot of hope. <laughs> well, the other thing, and I'll get back to the story, though, in a moment, I'll try and remember where I left off. But the other thing is, out of my thousands of doctors, professors of, of metabolic and health science over the last 10 years, the very top tier of those, if I take my top 10 best brains in medicine and health, 
they all 100% agree with me from day one. Now, many can't say it. they got to be careful, but they do privately. And my corporate top tier of technical people, I am talking the rarefied top level technical masters. Guess what? They all agree with me too. Offline, because they can't publicly say it because they're in corporate jobs. You know the story. But, but that's it. But back to the back to the other incident, unfortunate incident. Yeah, I'd have been attacked left, right, and center. So when this happened, I mean, I just said, okay, the Belfast Telegraph has been handed that story by the group, probably in the UK, who have been after me for three months. You know, they've probably handed a potted suggested story. And uh, I guess this individual, Sam, who I'd never heard of and haven't seen him since, said, hey, I've just been handed a, a nice salacious kind of sensational story it's got all the emotive stuff you know mm. and and i've been handed it on a platter so he ran with it mm. that was it oh, it's so disappointing because like this is it's not just isolated either like i watched it was an unbelievable amounts of people and like so you talk mm. about how like the general public isn't like particularly numerate and and maybe doesn't have the best critical thinking skills and i mean it's just like fair enough like yeah. that that's probably the case i mean that's no, no you know n there's n not to disparage the general public about that i mean it's just reality it's just, yeah it's reality i mean like it doesn't make them bad people at all yeah. um and then but i see like journalists who were who well educated like smart intelligent critical thinkers like it do you, do mm. you think that, that this this was and they just failed to see any of this stuff like like I was saying about the, about the World Economic Forum stuff and and like like there's this group who has a lot of very huge and quite disruptive plans for the future of humanity they envision how it's going to be and it's like fair enough some billionaires are going to get together and chat about what they think the future is fine you know that's not insidious in itself they've been like rich people have been doing that for years Poor yeah. people do that too. We just go to the pub and do it, and we have no actual power, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, um, but then they have a young global the, their young global leaders program that's like every significant politician in the Western world almost, or every significant leader. And they go on stage and they talk about how they've infiltrated the cabinets. They like openly talk about it's like, oh, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And this is like that's not just like a them pretending there's going to be some proto-communist state it's just like they want to own and rent out everything to us housing and why not yeah that's i because mean that's the way it's going in the world like it's not insane to suggest that people want that to go further like and and yet when you say to them do you consider the world economic forum to be a problem like do you think the globalists mm. are, are 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 a threat to like the sovereignty of individual nations to like be their own masters. And they just, they immediately go, oh, anti-Semitic, that's, oh, that's anti-Semitic. Yeah. Like I was having this discussion earlier with someone on Twitter, like, literally going back and forth and being like, how is it anti-Semitic to say like global institutions that are like subsuming the autonomy of individual nations is a bad thing? How is that anti-Semitic? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I, I've heard that one a few times as well. And I don't even know who who's, I often don't know who's Jewish and who's not. Now, I know there were the Rothschild family, the big bankers, mm. you know, that were probably involved in setting up the Fed in, in, in 1913, I think, in the US and the Bank of England. 
they're private institutions. Everyone thinks the Fed and the Bank of England, they're government, right? They issue money and, and they change rates and they're government. They're private corporations with shareholders. And in both cases, the shareholders have been kept secret uh, for a century or more. You can't find out who the shareholders are for whatever reason. But I know the Rothschilds and all and banking families are associated with that and they're of Jewish extraction. Hmm. So but the anti-Semite- any of these people talk, like when, when people talk about the globalists hmm. and the World Economic Forum, unless it's some like insane person ranting in the YouTube comment section, right? Hmm. I have never heard a serious commentator ever mention the Rothschild, like really ever mention like George Soros, who like often comes up in these no, sorts of things. It's a conspiracy like theory. Yeah, but it, they're literally talking them. about things you can see. <laughs> well, I was going to make the point, the Rothschilds, but Rockefeller, I, I don't know very well names and, and, and what their etiology is or whatever, but Rockefeller, I don't know if Rockefeller is Jewish or not. I don't know. I don't, but Rockefeller, I actually don't know either. No, but the thing is, Rockefeller family is a huge part of this. And it's 50, 60 years we've been coming to this point. I mean, if you put one link down below this, is a 45-minute talk I found recently. It's brilliant. It's an historical analysis with newspaper clippings and references from a Swedish doctor or professor. Uh, he's a PhD in science, and he's published many books long before COVID on the history of, of these internationalists and, and how far they've come. And basically Rockefeller back in the fifties through to the sixties, Kissinger came on board. They created many groups and I mean, Bilderberg and trilateral commission mm. and, you know, the club of Rome was the environmental wing, Yeah, but all these groups, they now sit at the center of the internationalist organizations, the UN. The UN has now allied last year with the WEF, and they've basically done a merger. So this is all historical fact documented, and their influence is beyond, beyond belief. I mean, I got to hand it to them. Hand the enemy credit. The job they've done and the patience to spend 50 or 60 years doing it and not try and go off too quick. They waited patiently 50 or 60 years in order to have a greater and greater control so they could do what humans at the top have always done for since the dawn of humanity. It's always whether you go from the Roman Empire or Shaka Zulu Empire in, in Africa, mm. Anywhere you look, always empires have risen, led by a select few, and then sometimes they collapse, and then it starts again. Well, here we are, and the modern one, though, is different because it's a technocracy, and it involves corporate power and corporate individuals as a big global group taking over. And that makes it even worse than before, because before it was this, a small number of people who held power through force. But now it's basically all of our top corporations together working together in a stakeholder capitalism model uh, of the planet. You know, that link, if you put it below, people will be fascinated. But I will say one thing I discovered new because I know a lot of this stuff anyway. Do you know when climate change first came up as a strategy to help with the management of the world, you know, and all those ragtag little people? are so irksome to the rich and the wealthy. It came up in the 1950s with a Rockefeller group 
that we're working on long-term plans to better control the world and have less problems of national sovereignty and governments and try and bypass that with international organizations that could better manage uh, by kind of having nationalism fall. Mm. They brought up global change, climate change, potential disaster as a strategy, right, in their plans. Now, whether global warming is true or not, it's interesting to know that they initially proposed this concept before any scientist ever got their hands on it. So that's where it came from. And in the 1970s, it was strengthened with new commissions set up, all related to these very powerful individuals. So it's just very interesting. So climate change now, you can argue the science all you want, though if you argue against it, you're basically grant is gone and your job is gone. So there's no one really arguing against it. Yeah, I saw Penny Morden being 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 like lambasted in the in the press mm. for, for taking money from someone who had once commented about it. And I was like, That's, like well, who cares? <laughs> That would before COVID, climate change was the COVID. You dare not even question. Oh, well. It's well, CNN, extraordinary. Sure CNN said that like the Jeff Zucker was caught on camera by Project Veritas yeah. talking about how after COVID they were going to pivot to climate change. That was their new issue that was going to keep the eyeballs on the screen, and you know they're going to get everyone riled up about it. And and like honestly, the the issue for like the question for me is not even like it's nothing to do with like. Or like it, are are greenhouse gases like warming the planet? That's not even a question. It's like, is the method of extraction of fossil fuels really damaging to the environment around it and like damaging to the ecosystems that like surround that place? Yes, right? Yes. Mm. So if we could all work together and have like a more sustainable energy source that wasn't dependent on murderous dictators, right? Surely mm. that would be good. And then uh, the problem is it comes it all like that comes packaged, unfortunately, due to this fucking system that's been set up and the, like mm. the, the World Economic Forum and, and all of these like global groups who are who are banging on about like carbon credits and, and um, like limiting people's carbon footprint. And like all that it comes wrapped in is this package of control that that comes along with like the the social credit system the so, the central bank digital currency like is all of these forces like converging and it's like can i opt for like clean sustainable energy that we find somewhere nearby to us that just doesn't mean that we become slaves to the technocracy uh, well <laughs> i have that unfortunately the slave side of it kind of is the product that's being sold <laughs> The climate change is the mechanism or the method to to get to sell that product. And that sounds conspiracy like, but I mentioned earlier Rockefeller and and all these powerful groups were the ones who initiated the climate thing. And by God, they sold it hard over decades. But the interesting thing is they're big oil families, Exxon, and they had uh, the the prince was our princess of Denmark, who's the big shell owner. They entrained her. All the individuals involved, going back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they published book on saving the planet. It all came from big oil and big wealthy families. Mm. That's the yeah, irony. Like the, so, the, the fossil fuel industry is the biggest the, yeah. funders of the green movement, as far yeah. as I'm aware. 
there there's a lot of that there and, and if anyone thinks that's a conspiracy theory by the way go and fucking read naomi klein like hardcore left-wing like brilliant yeah. journalist and she writes about this in her 2007 book this changes everything like she says yeah. it this is not yeah. like some right-wing it's, it, it's documented and if we put the link into the swedish doctor or professor he goes through it all with newspaper clippings with the books he's got all his references no one can counter it that is the genesis of all of this. You can argue now how correct the science is. You can debate the data. But at the end of the day, you've always got to look at where something came from and question motive as well. And it came from big oil barons and all of that ilk. That's just the way it is. That's where it came from. So I think, you know, there's a problem with running out of oil, maybe, and there's a problem with general pollution, and there's a problem with billions of masks in the sea. I could go on all day, but we're not really attacking that. We're attacking a trace gas in the atmosphere because that's what can be pushed back on everybody. And interestingly, even fossil fuel people are getting off the hook because of the credit system. So that's a kind of a shell game. And where are they putting all the heat? In the recent Scottish, or last year, the Scottish climate thing, the first announcement they came out with was around cow burps. So they've got this size of a problem, if CO2 is a problem, or methane. Mm. They've got this enormous problem, if it is a major problem, relating to burning fossil fuels, yada, yada, and all this stuff, and what you mentioned. But they came out and they mentioned this little tiny sliver. They focused on that. So what they're doing with the carbon credit system is they're basically going out, making farmers and our food production the whipping boy for the whole climate change problem. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. And it's in plain sight. But no one knows that because everyone sees, oh, oh, climate change, cow burps. Oh, that's the biggest problem because people just believe this crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that like, you know, there's always the like we're you know we need to eat bugs as a as a solution for this. So that cracks me up because two to three hundred crickets make about as me as much methane as a as a cow, which is like surely but that's sure. making the problem worse. But sure, when the when the grass breaks down, you know methane is released anyway, and then they say, oh water, the cattle so much water to take a burger. But the cows drink almost all blue water, which was water just comes from the sky or from rivers and that. And the cow pisses it back out within 10 minutes and it goes straight back in again. Like every argument is fundamentally absurd. Um, we won't get into the science of methane, but again, that, that's, a, that's completely largely falsified as to the relevance of methane. It's not about the science it's it's about sadly the agenda and the green agenda is now keeping all of the top tier who have a lot of desires and agendas and plans it's keeping them happy and giving them everything they want mm. and it's also given a massive number of ngos and groups uh giving them a, a job too and i mean climate change you put climate change on your proposal for a grant you got your money you even mentioned that you're wondering about something sensible and uh, no money for you. It's the whole system is like a ratchet pointing one way. The bigger your catastrophic threat on the study you want to do, the more money you get, 
and then you add to the big pile of worthless science on this topic. That's it. Yeah. Well, they said the science is settled, so they shouldn't really be getting any more grant grant funding for research, right? <laughs> well, um, that, there's an irony. Do you see that the cartoon that maybe you could edit it afterwards? I thought it was so funny. And it shows a kind of a, a scientist in a white coat, and he's being handed big piles of wads of dollar bills, and his eyeballs are wide and revolving, like he looks a bit insane. And it just says underneath, sure, I'll settle that science for you. You know, there's a guy with a briefcase <laughs> in his suit who's handing Brilliant. the money to him. And he's there with his eyes all lit up. That's it in a nutshell. And another yeah. one shows a scientist and there's a coin-operated slot in his back. And again, a suit, a suited hand, you know, just putting coins in the back of the scientist. That's that's the way the world is. Oh. So, like, in 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 the face of all of this absolute absurd madness, right? Uh, it's easy to get very like depressed, maybe a little bit sort of despondent about like the future of of humanity, right? But then I do see like like positive steps where it's like 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 small corrections, of course, of what's happened over the past couple of years. Um, will not get, will not, but and. Like for example, there's the all everything that came out with Alex Berenson um, and his yeah. like reinstatement to Twitter, and is now all the all the uh, documents that he's now released, um, indicating that the U.S. government were telling people who to ban, and the CDC were involved in discussions about it. Um, there's been uh, there's like court cases, uh, one being filed by. Oh, I can't remember the name. It's like the new ACLU, basically, like the people who are attempting right. to, to 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 sort of re like take what the ACLU is meant to stand for and um, ah. and like start again. It was uh, being is uh, and there's a Fulmich, the German guy. I don't know what happened to him, but I believe he's working away. But they're up against it because really the courts and the links to the United Nations, like. When the WHO drove this madness, the WHO is only a small chunk of the United Nations, the UN. Mm -hmm. And the UN, it's basically written all over their charter. So if you beat the WHO pandemic treaty that's coming up, it was pointed out that the net, then the UN will just bring in stuff. You got, and they're much bigger. Uh, and the legal structures... You know, we saw anyone who went against lockdowns and brought a case, the judge just threw it out because the judge just knows what the narrative is and just is not going to allow a case to win that will reflect badly on him or her. Yeah. Interestingly, so, actually, New York State, just uh, a judge just ruled, um, I believe today, that all of the state workers who were fired due to being uh, unvaccinated uh, should have their jobs reinstated and all of the months that they have since then back paid. Um, yeah. So, so I, decisions I like that give me some hope. Yeah, no, I think in fairness, and then as this gets more and more insane, and I think in the last 12 months, you started off with a relatively small percentage of rationalist critical thinkers, instinctive critical thinkers who spoke up against this. Um, but they were attacked, censored and harried, as we described. But now I think there's a much larger percentage than that original one realizing something's really gone crazy. 
So I don't know what size that is, but most people, even the, the cynics and the kind of negative people on, on our side of the house are all acknowledging there's a lot more awakening and awareness than there was. Hard to define, but I think that's where the hope lies, that at the end of the day, you'll get an odd good judge. It's not going to change the world like you described. But but if there's a percentage awakening that causes more and more pushback against future nonsense, it will get harder and harder to push the nonsense on the people. And then they may have to use more and more jackboot methods, which in turn may make more people wake up and think, what in the name of God is going on? And then they need to watch that video I talked about that the link is down below. <laughs> they, yes, they'll Liz, understand it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I like I have the 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 only thing that I I'm yet to see is how is like what politician is gonna stand up in like what serious politician because you know what the fucking problem is like the UK elect like at some point the UK is gonna get a general election right and I live in London now and mm. like who the fuck do I vote for? Do I ah. vote for the cunts that decided that this was the greatest idea and printed half a trillion to pay for it? Do I vote for the cunts who were stood opposite and did not but say you haven't gone far enough? Like, wow. you know, do I vote for the Green Party who who would normally be my go, would have previously been my go-to, but they were just as hardcore as, as, as the, the, like, the opposition. Yeah. Like, the only Green. serious figure I've caught, like, not even serious, the only figure saying no to this was... It was fucking Lawrence Fox, and I don't want to yeah. vote for Lawrence Fox. <laughs> and I met, I met him at one of the events, and he's great fun. And we had some beers in the middle of the day. Went up for lunchtime pints. I recorded it. Now Lawrence, that's that's what we are. I mean, they're an absolute shower of self-interested wankers, and none of them, none of them have any courage. And to be honest, even if they had courage, they're probably right to not bite this one off because they'll just get ridiculed and abused like everyone else. It's a tough one. Uh, I mean, voting for Greens generally, you might as well just take the news, put around your neck and just get out of here because <laughs> Greens, I used to vote for Greens because of my disgust at the other main parties around 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, that's how it always went for me in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I was just like, fuck all these other people. Now I'd spoil the ballot. I mean, because the Greens has got these ideologues. They're either utter idiots, like Ireland's Green Minister is now the Minister for the Environment and Energy. And the guy is a no-brain. I mean, a lot of the politicians are smart. Like Leo Varadkar, our, our kind of Prime Minister uh, a while back, he knows a cunning guy, but he's a WF guy, right? But the other guy, uh, the, the Environment and Energy... It's just, he's just thick, you know, and, and he's got all this power and he is literally a puppet. You can almost see the hand right up his ass from, from headquarters over in Switzerland or whatever. It, it's just disgusting. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had we had just had a very similar sort of choice in the UK. It's like, we just got rid of the idiot oh, in Liz Truss. Really. It's just like, what do you want? What do you want? A dangerous idiot? Or a dangerous, intelligent person? <laughs> Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw that the last few days. I knew where it was going, and I knew a couple of weeks ago they've decided to get rid of her. So the banks got the call, you know, yeah. cause a problem, mm. increase the heat on her, just get her out. Well, because I mean, I heard they didn't. I heard. 
Hmm. That part of the reason for the chaos, or the main reason for the chaos, is because no one at the fucking treasury called the Bank of England to tell them, like, the economic policy that they were about to put before the country. No one fucking called them. <laughs> like, that's so, the level of incompetence we're dealing with. Yeah, or... <sighs> Well, no, I mean... you won't get conspiracy or <laughs> or someone interrupted the call and made sure it didn't get through. So no, look, I think they're it, really that. It was there. Okay, well, never attribute to to malice what what is probably stupidity. You're talking about a nexus, a a synergy of utter stupidity and cowardice mixed with genuine malign intent from key players in the system. Put it together, you you got a Shakespearean scenario. It's just the perfect tragedy. That's what we're living. But to your point about getting hopeless, I've always said, and more and more I have to tell people, you know, stoicism. It was a huge part of the great religions, and it's hugely important. And stoicism simply is, it's not you throw your hands up, oh, there's nothing I can do, hopeless. Stoicism is just simply not worrying or getting wound up about what you cannot change. You accept what you cannot change and you keep performing to the best of your ability with what you can influence. So I've done what I could in this utter clown show, corrupt clown show. I've done what I could, but I never worried. And I even say to my wife, who sometimes gets despondent at the madness. And I say, you know, put yourself forward. This is a cognitive psychotherapy trick. I used to help people teach them cognitive psychotherapy you put yourself forward to the worst case project yourself forward in time and allow it to happen around you and observe it and come to terms with it so project forward they get digital id we're all you know your card won't work because you use too much diesel you ate too much meat project yourself forward where they actually win and they've got essentially a glorified ant farm in the west that's kind of what it would look like and you have to keep your head down or you will be nobbled Put yourself there in the scenario that they do get what they clearly want and, and just come to terms with it and then come back to the present now and say, okay, I've seen the worst. I've accepted it. I'll fight against it in so much as I can, but I am not going to be disheartened by the potential that, that it could transpire. That's fate. I'm not going to get wound up about fate. If I find out an asteroid next month is going to hit the planet, you know, in some ways, it wouldn't worry me too much because there's nothing I can do. Therefore, I just make the next month the best it can be. That's stoicism. I think everyone needs to get it, especially on our side of the house, where we're looking down the barrel of a lot of guns from these rich, evil bastards. Yeah, you see, that's why my my ultimate get out plan is Texas, because I believe that will be the last holdout. Florida, maybe. Is or Florida, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. DeSantis. Oh, hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, he's, oh, he just, I, 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 he says some things that are like a bit controversial and I'm like not 100% on board with, but like in, in, yeah. like in the grand scheme of like what he wants, it's just like, so he just didn't want to lock you in your house and take away your rights. He's like, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. Well, I mainly, I don't follow American politics. I've mainly focused just on, on these matters close to my heart. Mm. But on lockdowns, he brought in Professor Levitt, uh, Professor Bhattacharya. I interviewed in London mm -hmm. a couple of months ago. And Kaldorf, he brought in the best in the world mm -hmm. when everyone else was censoring them. 
mm-hmm. and he looked at the data. And remember, DeSantis is not a Marine. He's a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL originally. I mean, that's a real man mm. or woman. I'm not being sexist here, but come on. That's that's kudos. Mm. And he is an MBA and other degrees. So he's not just a a Trump. I mean, you can see the way he speaks. He's super smart, bought in the professors, no lockdowns, no masks. He famously won. When he went in, there were people behind his big speaker or his microphone. Yeah, they were wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you can take those off. He said, I don't want to watch that uh, COVID theater. He's honest. And um, on mandates for vaccines as well, he overruled them Mm -hmm. and he kept schools open. I mean, on all the important things of our era, he's been incredible. Now, if he has other political views, I might not be as much aware of, but I don't really care because COVID represents the battle of our lifetimes. And look, if someone's perfect on COVID and everything relating to it against globalists, I forgive them quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so would I. Um so on stoicism just before we wrap up on stoicism, mm. um if people want to know if people want to like listen to more stuff, I have an interview with uh Jonas Saltzgeber who is oh. the author of uh The Little Book of Stoicism. Um, on Excellent. this channel so i will stick that in the description for people alongside uh the the video of the swedish phd which i hope you will send me the link so that i can stick immediately that in after well. this yeah so um anyway i've uh, we smashed past an hour so uh thanks <laughs> thanks very much for for your time man it's it's been uh it's been a great chat uh is there anything you want to point people towards like twitter other things well, you know, at Fat Emperor, Twitter handle and YouTube. If you Google Ivor Cummins, Google still allows you to find me. Um, you'll see the YouTube and the Facebook and the Twitter up the top of the page. And one last little link. I, I went to the trouble of compiling a white paper in draft form, and it just exquisitely proves with references how the lockdowns were utterly ineffective. So I might just put a link to that download PDF. I'd love people to share it. And, and ask their friends to say, well, okay, you read this and then and tell me you believe lockdowns were, were great. Uh, I think it's a useful little document, but but that's it. We'll go with that. Brilliant. Um, yeah, man, thanks very much for your time. I'll stick all the links for everyone in the description below. Good man, Josh. Catch you next time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.